Well, good morning. So that video talks about a time for everything, and there is a time for everything in our lives, too. There's, there's times God has us go through rough stuff. There's times he's uh, blessing us, and, and we think, wow, this is the greatest time ever. There's times when he asks us to do things for him. And today we're going to look at a time when God charged Solomon with a task for him, a time to build the temple. We're in our summer series called Wisdom and Folly, uh, looking at the life of King Solomon. And today we are in 1 Kings chapter 6. If you want to be turning in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 6. You know, King David had given instruction to his son Solomon before he passed away about the building of the temple. In 1 Chronicles 28, 11, and 12, it says, Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for dedicated things. Then just jump down to verse 19. All this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plans. See, David had the blueprints. God had put in his heart um, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, those plans, and he wrote them down. David had wanted to build the temple because he was a worshiper. We see that from the moment we hear of David, that he worships the Lord. And all along through his life, we see evidence of that. And to him, it was important to build that temple, a place where people could go to worship God. He had it in his heart to do it. But it, God gave him the vision of what it could be. And he had the heart for it. And yet, he didn't get to build the temple. God fulfilled that through his son Solomon. So I have a question for all of you as we get started today. What does that tell us about our lives? God has specific tasks and things for us to do. Our life is not random. Our life isn't random. Yeah. Sometimes we only play a portion of the role in accomplishing what God wants. Sometimes we only play a portion of the bigger picture. Yes, there are things we can see. There's things that God puts on our heart to pray for. But it is given to the next generation to fulfill it. So we pray about it. We worship God about it. But it goes on to that next generation. And so we see that as we live our lives, we need to be aware of the fact that we need to be uh, thinking of the future of what God has shown us and making sure we prepare that next generation for what he has for them to do too. As we look at this uh, temple this morning, we'll see that just in the, as in the festivals of the Lord that we studied, where it's all about Jesus, so in the tabernacle, in the temple, there is a revelation of Jesus, our Messiah, in it. Every little detail of the temple either talks about Jesus or foretells about Jesus' ministry, and it's built after the pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. It symbolizes Jesus' death on the cross, his blood shed for us at Calvary, his role 
as our mediator between God and man. It all speaks of that. And finally, it foretells of the day that God will uh, dwell in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, let's read the first few verses of chapter 6. 1 Kings 6, verse 1. In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 high. The portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple, that is 20 cubits, and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple. He made narrow windows high up in the temple walls. Against the walls of the main hall and inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building in which there were side rooms. The lowest floor was five cubits wide and the middle floor six cubits and the third floor seven. He made offset ledges around the outside of the temple so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. In, the, in building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. The entrance to the lowest floor was on the south side of the temple. A stairway led up to the middle level and from there to the third. So we built the temple and completed it roofing it with beans, beams and cedar planks. And he built the side rooms all along the temple. The height of each was five cubits, and they were attached to the temple by beams of cedar. So let's stop there for now. Uh, it starts out by saying it was 480 years after Israel left Egypt. And when we think about it, that's, that's a long time. That would be like, for us, if we were talking about 480 years ago, that's 1541. That's just a, a short time after Columbus discovers the Americas. That's just a short time after the Renaissance. I mean, that's kind of like right in the middle of the Renaissance. That's, that's a, a while ago for us. And so the same thing for them. That was a while ago that they had left Egypt. I mean, things had, uh, had really, a lot of things had happened since then. We think of it as being all kind of condensed, and it was like just a few years earlier they had left, and then a few years later this and that, and now here they are, King Solomon building the temple. But it was quite a lengthy time. And so it says it's in the fourth year of his reign. So he's a very young guy at this time still. It tells us it's in the second month, the month of Ziv, and we think that doesn't sound like a Hebrew month, and that's because that's not the Hebrew name for that month. That's actually the uh, Canaanite name for the month, and for some reason the uh, author, uh, the one who, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Kings, they decided to include the Canaanite name instead of the Hebrew name for the month. So it is the second month of that fourth year. And uh, it tells us that the temple Solomon built for the Lord, it's listed in cubits, which I don't know if you know cubits, but they mean nothing to me. So I decided I want to see how big is this. It's 90 feet long. It's 30 feet wide and 45 feet high. Plus it has, in addition to that, the portico or the porch on the front of it that extended another 15 feet in the front, also 30 feet wide. Then it tells us that there were narrow windows in the walls. Another version says narrow 
clerestory windows, which are actually, when you look in the Hebrew of what it's talking about there with those windows, it's talking about recessed latticed windows. I mean, when you think about castles you see in old pictures and movies, they have those kind of latticed windows. That's what this was like. Um, it was quite ornate. Uh, there was a structure around the main hall that had side rooms with three floors. And if you look at the handout that I provided you with today, you can see that. It's got a cutaway, and you can see the three floors in there for storage for the priests for their duties that they had to fulfill. It tells us in verse 7 that only blocks dressed in the quarry were used at the temple site. No hammers, no chisels, and no iron instruments heard at the site. So why do you think there would not be noise at the temple site from these iron tools? Why would they have prepared it beforehand and brought them there ready to put together? Why not do it there? Because it's sacred. Because it's sacred, yes, exactly. This was to be a place of worship, of awe and respect for God's presence. In 2 Chronicles 3, 1 and 2, uh, it says, Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite, a place provided by David. He began building on the second day of the second month of the fourth year of his reign. So it tells us that this place is built on Mount Moriah. This is a place of sacrifice. This is a place where before David, Abraham had gone there to sacrifice his son Isaac and God had provided instead the ram. This is the place where uh, God met King David. This place already had quite a special spiritual heritage and Solomon would have known that. John G. Lake was a healing evangelist from about 1898 to 1935. He passed away in 1935. And part of his ministry was as a missionary. And then when he returned to the United States, he had a ministry of healing. He was a Pentecostal preacher. He had, a, had healing rooms in Spokane, Washington. And it, it's, it's said that um, Dennis Bennett, who was a pastor who was a spirit-filled pastor who visited that location in the 1970s where the healing rooms had once been. They were no longer being used for that at that time. And he, as they walked in this building, he said there was still a palpable presence of the Lord God in that place. There's a presence of God in the places where we regularly worship him. That is why the temple could not be a place of commotion. It was a sacred place, a place where people could go to worship him, a place for the presence of God to dwell. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you use a special chair for the, your devotions, your time with the Lord, when you sit down there, it is easy to come into God's presence. It's like he's waiting there for you. The presence of God is in a place where we regularly worship him. And here at South Oaks, as we worship Jesus Christ, as we lift him up with our praises, and, and the power and presence of God is in this place, it becomes a place where we can come and worship God and meet with him to sense the Holy Spirit and to hear from him speaking to us. In verses 9 and 10, it tells us, 
that the temple was built with cedar beams, a cedar roof, cedar planks from the cedar that Pastor Steve talked about last week, sent from Hiram, Hiram the king of Tyre. It's a lot of cedar. <laughs> so let's read on and see what else is part of this temple. In verse 11, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and completed it. He lined its interior walls with more cedar, cedar boards, paneling them from the floor of the temple to the ceiling and covered the floor of the temple with planks of juniper. He partitioned off 20 cubits at the rear of the temple with cedar boards from floor to ceiling to form within the temple an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. The main hall in front of this room was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar carved with gourds and open flowers. Everything was cedar, no stone was to be seen. He prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold, and he also overlaid the altar of cedar. Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold, and he extended gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with gold. So he overlaid the whole interior with gold. He also overlaid the gold uh, with gold the altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary. For the inner sanctuary, he made a pair of cherubim out of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the first cherub was five cubits long, and the other wing five cubits, ten cubits from wingtip to wingtip. The second cherub also measured ten cubits, for the two cherubim were identical in size and shape. The height of each cherub was 10 cubits. He placed the cherubim inside the innermost room of the temple with their wings spread out. The wing of one cherub touched one wall while the wing of the other touched the other wall. Their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. He overlaid the cherubim with gold. Well, let's stop there for a second. Okay, so here, as you notice when we started this, this uh, at verse 11, here in the middle of this description of this massive building project, we hear what the word of the Lord was to Solomon. God made this promise to King David earlier, and now he makes it to his son Solomon. He makes it personal to Solomon as well. And God says, regarding this temple, so while you're building this temple, I want you to know that as long as you're following the decrees of the Lord and carrying out my regulations, my, my commands, as long as Solomon keeps all of those commands and obeys them, God said he would fulfill through him the promise that was given to his father David. And then God tells him in verse 13, And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and not forsake my people. That word dwell in Hebrew means to settle down. Like when you... Buy a house and you settle down. It means to settle down, to abide, to stay, to reside. God said, I'm going to reside with you. I'm going to dwell with you and not forsake my people if you do what I've commanded you to do. And God promised Solomon that as long as he was a righteous man, as long as he sought the Lord, 
as long as he did what God commanded him, he would live out that promise of God and he would pass it on to the next generation. That's what we want to do here at South Oaks. We want to be a people that live righteous lives, obeying what God has called us to do and fulfilling the promises that he has given us to be able to pass that on then to the next generation and beyond them even. So it tells us that Solomon built the temple and completed it. Interior walls were lined with cedar and the floor was with planks of pine. The main hall was 60 feet long and the most holy place was 30 feet long. The most holy place, the inner sanctuary, was actually this perfect cube, 30 by 30 by 30. And the walls and the floor were all overlaid with pure gold. The altar was also covered with gold. Gold chains were across the front of the sanctuary. The inner sanctuary, the most holy place, had this pair of cherubim, these pair of cherub beam angels made of olive wood and overlaid with gold and they were 15 feet high in other words if the ceiling is 30 feet high these were halfway up to that 15 feet high and 15 feet from wingtip to wingtip one touched the other cherubim and the other wingtip touched the the walls these were huge they were probably sphinx-like, and if you look at the handout with that cutaway part of where the most holy place is, you can see a representation of what they look like. They're an animal body with a human face. The cherubim representing the angels of the Lord. So then, let's start at verse 29 and read to the end of this chapter. And on the walls around the temple, in both the inner and outer rooms, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He also covered the floors of both the inner and outer rooms of the temple with gold. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood that were one-fifth of the width of the sanctuary. And on two olive wood doors, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers overlaid the cherubim and palm trees with hammered gold or beaten gold. In the same way for the entrance to the main hall, he made the door frames out of olive wood that were one-fourth of the width of the hall. He also made two doors out of juniper wood, each having two leaves that turned in the sockets. He carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them and overlaid them with gold, hammered evenly over the carvings. And he built the inner courtyard of three courses of dressed stone and one course of trimmed cedar beams. The foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid in the fourth year in the month of Ziv. And in the eleventh year in the month of Wool, the eighth month, the temple was finished in all its details according to its specifications. He had spent seven years building it. On the walls, he's, it's so ornate. There's carvings on all the walls of these cherubim and palm trees and rosettes. And the inner and outer doors are covered with gold. The entrance to the most holy place was olive doors. Another translation says with five-sided jams. This means that the entrance around the doors was probably indented five times. Have you seen big frames around doors that have like five indentations in them? Uh, these doors were also carved with the cherubim, the palm trees and the open flowers, and overlaid with hammered or beaten gold. Let's uh, see a picture of what someone thinks this maybe looked like. I mean, gold everywhere. That would have been impressive to walk in there. And just think, though, 
This was only seen by the priests. And the most holy place had that curtain over it, besides the doors, had that curtain. Only once a year someone went in there. But this opulence that Solomon did, this was made for the Lord. This signified the, the devotion and the worship and the reverence they had for the Lord God. The wood being of olive wood speaks of peace. Jesus is our peace. So in 2 Chronicles 3, 4, the second part of 4 through 7, it says that he overlaid it with gold. He paneled the main hall with juniper and covered it with fine gold and decorated it with palm trees and chain designs. He adorned the temple with precious stones, and the gold he used was the gold of Parvaim. He overlaid the ceiling beams, the door frames, the walls, and the doors of the temple with gold and carved cherubim on the walls. So here we learn another detail. It wasn't just gold and cedar, but there were precious stones being put in place as well. This building was incredible. Uh, you know all that gold that I was talking about earlier? It says in verse 8 and 9 of 2 Chronicles 3 that 600 talents of gold were used. That's 23 tons of gold or 46,000 pounds of gold. They did not hold back. And this place that the gold was from, Parveim, was a country that apparently had some really nice gold. And so he bought the best for the temple of God. Then if we jump down in 2 Chronicles 3 to 14 through 17, it says he made the curtain. This is the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place, the, inner, the outer from the inner sanctuary. He made the curtain of blue, purple, and crimson yarn and fine linen with cherubim worked into it. For the front of the temple he made two pillars, which together were 35 cubits long, each with a capital, or top, of five cubits. He made interwoven chains and put them on top of the pillars. He also made a 100 pomegranates and attached them to the chains. He erected the pillars in the front of the temple, one to the south and one to the north. The one to the south he named Jachin, and the one to the north, Boaz. So this curtain between the um, outer and inner courts uh, of the temple, the sanctuary, pardon me, outer and inner sanctuary of the temple, there's this curtain in between. And the, the symbolism of what's in that uh, curtain are amazing. Blue speaks of the divinity of Jesus. Purple is his royalty. Crimson is his shed blood and his humanity. And in front of the of the uh, entrance to the temple, there are two huge pillars, 52 and a half feet high, with an addition of a seven and a half foot capital or top on it, crown on the top. The names of these pillars were Jachin, which means he establishes, and Boaz, which means in him is strength. And this tells us that when we're followers of Jesus Christ, he establishes us. When we belong to the Lord God, he establishes us. He gives us strength so that we find what we need in life to make wise choices and have the strength then to face difficulties and trials. This uh, courtyard, you know, the temple sits in the middle of this courtyard and it had alternating stone and cedar, three rows of the stone uh, and then a row of trim cedar. And the foundation, it tells us, was laid in the Fourth year, and then in the 11th year, so seven years later, it is finished. That's a lot of stuff to finish in seven years. So 
The question I have is why didn't we skip over this part? Why didn't we just say, and Solomon built the temple and move on? Why would we want to study the temple and its symbolism? It certainly demonstrated uh, Solomon's devotion to the Lord and the opulence that uh, yeah. he put into it. Yeah, it demonstrated Solomon's devotion to the Lord and all the opulence he put into it. Yeah. Right. It, he followed the plan that God gave him. He didn't just do whatever he wanted. And we can't do whatever we want or God won't be pleased. Yeah. There's one other thing, too. In Romans 15, 4, it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The study of the scriptures is to teach us. We learn from it. It gives us endurance. It gives us uh, encouragement. It gives us hope. And so by studying the temple and finding what does it all mean, the symbolism, we get hope. It teaches us about our relationship with God. The most holy place is a perfect cube. It speaks of the perfection of God and his plan of salvation. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. In the most holy place, the cherubim are representations of angels that are the highest order of angels. They are by the throne of glory. They are also cherubim, um, additional ones, on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And it's said that that is where the glory of God dwells. Uh, five, we see five in here in the description. Five is the number of God's grace, of his goodness, of his favor. Romans 5, 1 then says, Since... Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that the olive wood speaks of, Jesus is our peace, uh, is offered to us when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the cedar used in the temple, as, as was mentioned last week, it was a fragrant offering to the Lord. It speaks of righteousness and strength. The cedar speaks of Jesus' character. It also uh, resists pests and bugs. Uh, it's, it's, it's pure, just like Jesus. When we follow Jesus and ask him to be our Lord, we want a desire to be more like Jesus every day. Our desire should be to become people of righteousness, to be strong in the face of adversity, because we have that strength of Jesus Christ. Psalm 92.12 says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. So this talks of the strength of the cedar. And that's what we want to be. We want to be like the cedars. We want to be righteous and flourish, as it says here. The number four that it mentions in the passage, four is the number of the earth. There were four rivers that flowed out of Eden, four corners of the earth, northeast, southwest. Revelation 21 talks about the new uh, city of God coming out of the heavens that has four corners. The gold on the doors is beaten gold, and Jesus was beaten and bruised for us before his death on the cross. Luke 22:63 says, The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. Matthew 27, 28, 
uh, through 31 says, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted a crown of thorns and pressed it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said, they spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes and led him away to crucify him. So we see here that beaten gold talks about Jesus' body being beaten for us. But it is by the wounds of Jesus that we receive healing. In Isaiah 53, 5, it tells us, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds were healed. So we can come to Jesus and we can say, Lord, heal me. Not because we are worthy, but because He is worthy. And it is his word to us that his stripes can heal us. We can be healed. The doors in the halls made of wood uh, speak of Jesus as a man. And the gold that overlaid everything speaks of Jesus as God. Now, if God has this much meaning, we'll find out next week when Pastor Steve gives the message, the meaning in all of the pieces, the, the furnishings of the temple is incredible. If God puts this much meaning in the temple, that all points to Jesus. It must be important. God is trying to speak to us, to tell us he wants to have a relationship with us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We just need to receive it. As we're in this series on wisdom, the wisest thing that we can do is look to Jesus, Jesus Christ. We ask him to be our Savior, to be our Lord, and to see that he is our source of strength. He's our hope, and he is our salvation. To realize that we need to come to him through his word and be reminded daily of his death and resurrection of his love for us, and of all that we have in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The temple was the dwelling place of God. It represented Jesus when he came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. Later on in, in the first Kings, uh, Solomon prays and says, God, may your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer, your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. God wants to dwell with us. Solomon's praying this verse and asking God to dwell in that place, in that temple, for his presence to fill the place. And today, not only does God dwell among us, but God can dwell in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God dwells in your midst? God dwells in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that. This opulent temple that they prepared for the presence of God to be in. We get to have the presence of God within us. That's really amazing. <laughs> There's only one point today, and the point is Jesus. So, um, what is the wisest choice you can make today? To seek Jesus with your whole heart, 
all your soul, all your might. Tell Jesus that you want more of him in your life. You want his grace, his peace, his hope, that you want him to be your Lord as well as your Savior. Tell him that you want more of his presence in you, in your home, in your place of work, wherever you are. Would you stand with me as we close? Just ask you as you stand to just bow your heads. And if you need to close your eyes, do that. But just be thinking how much God cares about us and wants to dwell with us. If you want more of God's presence in your life, if you're willing to lay down distractions or sins or hindrances, if you're willing to lay all that down and seek God with all of your heart, your soul, and your might, just ask you, just make a commitment today and raise your hand if that's you. Thank you, God. And as we started talking about future generations, if you want to be one of those righteous people, obeying what God has for you to do and fulfilling the promises that he has for you and praying it go forward to the next generation, if that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we just pray that your presence would be powerful, not just at South Oaks, but in our lives. Lord God, that as we worship you each day, that as we read your word, Father, that your presence would be uh, dwelling in us. Holy Spirit, fill us up today from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Saturate us, Lord God, with your Holy Spirit. Baptize us in that power and strength of the Holy Spirit. We just ask that you give us the, the things that you have for us to do, Lord. Put those plans, those desires in our heart that we would pray for that to be accomplished, Lord. That even if we don't see it in our life, Lord, we pray it forward to the next generation. Lord God, we want to do all that you have for us to do. And we want to see our children and their children and so on and so on doing the things of the Lord in this world where there's so much distraction and so much stuff trying to pull us away from you, Lord God, I pray that we would dedicate ourselves to you, that we would not only say, yeah, you're our savior, that we don't go to hell, but that you're our Lord, that you are Lord of our life, that you tell us the things that you have for us and we obey. Lord God, we thank you. We want to be righteous people. We want to fulfill the things that you have set for us to do. We thank you, Father, for all that we have in you. Thank you for the, the demonstration of this temple being a revelation of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.